0: Good morning. Court Radio is now in session. Call 215-227-2727. When you've got legal questions, we've got the answers. This is Court Radio.
1: And now here's your host, Dean Weitzman. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Dean Weitzman, your host of Court Radio every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. right here on 100.3 WRNB. 100. Oh, 107.9. 1079. Classics. Um, we are in the studio, ladies and gentlemen, with uh your favorite guest, the one and only Salselito Langsom. Better call so thank you, Dean, and welcome everybody. Thank you to all listeners. Saul is here. We're talking about wills, estates, trusts and anything else that is uh, up your alley this week that you wanted to uh get an answer on. 215-227-2727 is the number for all things legal. Um listen, uh Manuel, there was a uh an attack uh this week. Um this week, right or, right Come around on. No, no, but we'll, we'll get to oh, there. Okay. Right around City Hall yeah. where a uh, you know, there those loud obnoxious motorcycle ATVs groups, yeah. groups of people that come through the city 30 40 50 bikes and uh, they disregard uh, traffic signals they did, they they put pedestrians and other cars in jeopardy they just act like a bunch of hoodlums and um that was what seemed to be going on around City Hall uh, this week. And for some reason, a car and a motorcyclist uh, engaged one another, or I should say the motorcyclist engaged the car, and he <coughs> jumped on the back of the car, jumped on the back uh, window of the car, and smashed it out, nearly injuring two children that were in the back seat, in car seats. Um, and and uh, what happened with him?
0: Well, it seems that Cody Monroe Heron, 26 years old from Frankfurt, uh, was tracked down via social media because folks were using video from one camera and another camera and tracked a bike, and found a bike and would be boarded one different place in another in 24 hours. He was caught. He was caught. And what I found amazing during that whole confrontation is now one biker stepped in or intervened when they saw a woman being attacked by a guy. And two, the woman was fearless. She was right in his face. Her name is Nikki Bullard, by the way, everybody. Nikki Bullock, everyone, by the way. Uh, she was out doing Uber Eats with her partner and her children when she was uh, attacked. But Mr. Heron was uh, caught by Philadelphia PD. And as I understand it right now, he is, uh, well, he's being uh, put before the uh, different legal facilities in this town. But uh, kudos again to social media. I yeah. mean, good job.
1: It was it was shocking and scary, um, and um, you know, you uh, it, it seemed like she was helpless to um, prevent this attack. Uh, I I don't know, you know, it's just another element of the insanity that's going on in and around Philadelphia, the lawlessness mm-hmm. um, that we're all experiencing, and it really is. Um, detracting from what the beauty of Philadelphia once was.
0: And a rich, beautiful history and beauty that we have. You know, it kind of reminds me of those old westerns we used to saw when the Jones boys and all the gangs would drive through the town with the horses shooting up everything and just lawlessness and they're screaming for somebody to come. And here comes, I don't know, the Lone Ranger or Wyatt Earp or somebody. But it was that's what it kind of feels like. And ATVs and the biker cats, they already got a bad brand. Yep. You know, and, 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 so, and this didn't help the other day at all. Um, since that time, I don't know if she told you, but folks have not, the police have confiscated hundreds of these things off the street. And this is all happening in the last 48 hours, so our producers have something really great. How, the social media folks and the, the, the police department need to work together on some stuff and maybe get some stuff
1: done this, together. This, uh, this was a, 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 uh, um, a joint effort. It was. A, and, uh, and it worked out really well. Uh, because, you know, he had a helmet on. He was really... Fully covered. Uh, yeah, yeah, unidentifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, but they somehow dug down deep into it, and uh, they identified him, called him out on it, and the police effected an arrest, and uh, they, uh, the district attorney's office is charging him. Um, and, and so... Uh, This one ended well. It did. She's gotten help.
0: She's been getting help from folks. A guy replaced her window for free, stepped up. Some other folks have stepped up in other areas. And uh, there's a great article in the Inquirer by Janice Armstrong talking about her story. That's how I know so much. But uh, it it does have a happy ending, it would seem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But. I think it it goes to the fact that we are looking for the next administration to jump on Mm. to the ground running, Mm. Um, and that means bringing in um, a police chief who can start to make real changes uh, in the way that the police department is um, showing the city to the rest of the world as being safe. We need to feel safe in the city, and that, I guess, is going to require a lot more police. They're understaffed, like everywhere. All the prisons are understaffed. The police department's understaffed. Everybody is. Um, and people striking. <laughs> and, and we need to put more money, I, you know, toward that because that's what's preventing us from having the highest caliber police force that we are entitled to have is we're not paying enough. We're not getting enough quality applicants um and it goes back to you know they're just simply not able to attract those folks because they're getting pulled into other parts of the state in Mm -hmm. counties that have more money than philadelphia we've got to put our money where our mouth is otherwise this city is going to just slowly devolve into lawlessness so make a heavy investment in in crime and violence and and
0: there was just a city council meeting last thursday about Finally, using better technology like drones uh, to fight crime in this city, amongst other things. And those are conversations we had a decade ago. But yeah, we got to step up the game. Philadelphia looked really bad with that incident, and it went viral. It went around the world. I mean, late night hosts were even talking about, and the writer's strike being over it just wasn't a good thing. Hence, the swiftness in him being arrested and ATVs being, you know,
1: yeah. confiscated. I mean, but we just do it- that with everything. If, if if these bikes are not properly registered, mm-hmm. licensed and insured, they should be taken off the street and crushed or sold and or given it the, the owner is given a window of opportunity to rectify whatever it is wrong with the uh licensing or registration on the on the bikes or ATVs. If they're not supposed to be on the street, then um they're then the uh I'm sure there's gonna be a healthy fine um, and if they can't pay the fine, then the bike's going to get compensated. Here's what I would say,
0: and this is free advice to the bikers and all the lovers of ATVs. You need to change your brand, change your narrative, change your spin on yourselves, do some good stuff around the community or something, and police yourselves. If you get a better image, you may get a little love for some folks, but right now your brand kind of stinks. Yeah, yeah. And, and put a proper muffler on that thing. Well, you know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, have, the man with twelve-cylinder vehicles, but you're you ever, right. You're have right.
1: you ever been in a car where somebody comes by a, on a motorcycle and yeah. it just blows your ears out, but it frightens you, like you're 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 taken aback for a second because you didn't expect it and you didn't hear it coming up on you, and then all of a sudden it's. Wah!
0: Yeah, yeah. This is a different generation. My crew of guys are, are old G biker boy type, like the movie. They, they, they're real. They they ride real, real bikes. But this is not them. This is a whole different. Generation, whole different character, whole different culture, and like I said, the brand stinks with that culture. They need to think, they need to fix it themselves before the hammer falls, even worse. And it's going to fall. The next administration is not going to play. Yeah. Whoever it is. Yeah.
2: Yep. The, uh, I mean, the city, not for lack of trying, the, in order to attract applicants for the police department, they are, for lack of a better term, lowering the standards because mm-hmm. they have higher standards. And many of the applicants didn't meet those standards, so yeah. they are, in fact, lowering the standards, and hopefully they'll attract qualified people who can be properly trained and, and make a difference.
0: I think higher standards but better incentives, too, because that's the other thing they're competing with. There are other states and other cities offering better incentive packages to be a police officer.
1: Right, right. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, dropping your standards, in my mind, is never a good thing. Bad idea. Uh, because, it you know... It's, it's not an easy job, and you have to be able to think on your feet, and you have to be able to be calm under circumstances that most of us would not be able to be calm under. Um, you have to have the right um, emotional temperament. 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 And, and And the word that um, the officer used, who we had on the show not too long ago, a friend of yours, who. Kevin uh, Walker? Yeah. 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 The word he used was I look for officers with empathy. He did say that. And, yeah, and yeah. to me, that's everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're coming upon somebody who's in the middle of a mental health crisis, who's got a knife, who, you know, is off in the distance, is not a, an immediate threat to you, there is a way to de-escalate that sure. by having some empathy. And um, too often, officers, uh, the what we see in them is, um, you know, something that doesn't de-escalate it. It escalates the situation and turns something that's bad into something that turns into catastrophic. Um, And that requires a level of intellect and empathy that most or a lot of the officers don't seem to have. It's an
0: important part of the, the job, I think, in the process. And and he, you know, you he would he, he's a good standard of an officer because he, he's an officer's officer. He's going through the rigors. He's also an intellectual. We're talking about Captain Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, every officer's not going to be like that, you would hope. But that's not going to be the case. So, yes, yeah, standards, I think you can't lower standards. I think, again, incentives and, and better training and more, more therapeutic training for officers. And, and we need to include
1: that as part of law enforcement.
0: I think mental health is huge. Yeah, we
1: keep circling back to mental health. I mean, uh, I think, um, you know, police uh, in the city should be required to have a number of mental health interactions themselves Mm -hmm. so that, again, they can understand the folks that they're dealing with um, and how to de-escalate that situation. Um, they wear many hats. It's not an easy job and, um, n- you know, not one we should take for granted um, in, in the least. Two one five We're going to talk to Saul in a second on some of the things that he has been faced with uh, in the practice of law this last quarter since he's been here. Uh, but before we do, let's take a caller. William on line four. Hi and welcome to Court Radio.
3: Uh, Good morning. Tell Saul I said good morning, and uh, he helped me out very well about that deed. Why, thank you, William. Okay. um, I have a problem, Dean. My nephew was in a car accident approximately last November. He was with Safe Auto Insurance Company. They sent him confirmation that they were going to send someone out to fix his car. They never did. He just let it go and the person that they he was in the accident with now i guess went to court and got judgment against
1: them wow well that's a lot to unpack william first of all i know if if your nephew has an insurance policy that's applicable to the loss um one of the benefits of that insurance is that they will hire an attorney to defend him and any claim brought against him in the accident uh, for free and so um, when you say that the other driver brought a claim and got a judgment that means that your cousin was served the complaint didn't turn it over to his insurance company which is the first thing he should have done and then ignored the court date and then that's where a judgment then ensues and it sounds to me based on the timing of everything that it was a small claims or municipal court judgment uh something under twelve thousand dollars um perhaps for the repair of the car but again um folks when you are faced with getting lawsuit papers um as a result of a car accident the first thing you want to do is turn that over call your insurance company get in touch with the adjuster on the file and turn those papers over to them immediately. They will hire counsel to represent you because ultimately if you have insurance coverage, it covers you for liability coverage for any loss that you caused and they are gonna be the ones who pay it. However, if you didn't turn the papers over to them, if they didn't have an opportunity to defend you, then they may have a right to disclaim coverage under those circumstances. So a whole lot of bad things happen there, William. I'm just not sure why there wasn't better communication.
3: Yeah, well, he, he said he does have confirmation that um, they said that they were going to send someone out for his uh, to, to look at his car, but no one ever came. So,
1: yeah, to look at his not- car to look at his car is one thing, but if he got sued by the other driver, did he ever turn those papers over to his insurance company?
3: Anthony, did you ever turn that? over to your insurance company oh so so when i when they called
4: me they just told me to make a statement they never said anything
1: else about it yeah well it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be under collision coverage it would be under his um liability coverage if he was sued for the collision damages caused by the other vehicle um he with the second he got those papers he needed to turn them over to his insurance company And say hey folks I've been sued Um, enter a defense for me uh, because I didn't cause this accident I'm presuming that's the, the story is I didn't cause the accident as far as his own property damage goes they were gonna send somebody out I'm not sure why that could mean they're just sending somebody out to do an investigation or did he actually have collision coverage and if he had collision coverage then, of course, they're sending somebody out to do an estimate on the vehicle perhaps so that they can pay him. If they did not do that, if they never sent somebody out, uh, hopefully the vehicle is still available. If it's not available, it's still not probably too late. If he can get a, a repair estimate from a body shop that the car was taken to and turn that over to his insurance company, again, if he has collision coverage, he's entitled to be compensated for the damage to his vehicle, even if he caused the accident. Yes. All right, William. So it's not not,
3: not a um, one-year
1: window? No. No. In fact, in this case, it may be a four-year window, um, because the statute of limitations under a contract, which is this is what we're talking about, My contract with my insurance company for them to repair my car or pay me for the car if it's totaled, that's a contract. That's a four-year statute of limitations in Pennsylvania. So he's got time to um, unwind this.
3: Okay, so how, how would he do that? Does he need to come see you
1: or something
3: like that or what?
1: Well, on a property damage only claim, and I get these calls all the time. Hey, my car was in an ag- and I was in an accident. My car was damaged. It's six months ago. I didn't go to the doctor. I'm not really that injured. Um, will you? What will you do for me? And the answer is, there's really not a lot that a private attorney is going to do under those circumstances. If in fact the uh, insurance company pays it, or you know, but if they don't pay it, and let's say there's two thousand dollars in damage you could quickly utilize an attorney and and he'll be you know he will charge you for his time or her time and that will exceed the amount in controversy so sometimes as i tell my listeners on court radio you got to take the bull by the horns and you got to go on represent yourself you got to put forth your claim you got to know what rights you have under your contract and say hey you didn't live up to this either pay me or i'm going to sue you insurance company and then you could bring a claim against the insurance company under your policy in that same municipal court that he was
2: sued in. There's, there's, really a, there's, a, there's a major point here that has been addressed, and the point is that when you purchase collision coverage, please understand exactly what you're buying. Last week there was a rear-end accident on the Platte Bridge that came to our office. A car was totaled. The at fault driver had a five thousand dollar policy for property damage. My lady had no collision. The car was worth ten thousand dollars, and the the property damage uh, through the policy of the at fault driver was only five thousand dollars.
1: So she's she's at a loss for five grand, and there's nowhere for that to be made up. Uh, other than pursuing her personal injury claim and perhaps getting a bodily injury settlement. But there are different coverages, as Saul explained, in a policy. There, there is a bodily injury liability claim that in Pennsylvania is a minimum of $15,000, and then there's a property damage liability claim where there's a minimum of $5,000. And sometimes if you don't have the right insurance for yourself, you're going to be out in the cold. Bottom line. Uh, William, thanks for energizing us with that conversation. If there's more that you need to know, feel free to have your nephew uh, email me at dean at com Dean at com and we'll be happy to see if we can answer any further questions. Okay. Folks, if you've got a legal issue, today's the day to give us a call. Saul's in town, 215 227 2727. All right. Langsam. Um, what's what's been going on in the geriatric
2: world these days? Well, it's ah, so it's, it's not so much limited to the geriatric <laughs> world, but believe it or not, you have young generations of family members interestingly occupying properties that once belongs to grandparents, and they pick up the phone and call our office and say I've been living in this house for the last five years, 10 years. I'd like to have this house in my name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not an unreasonable request. We've gotten a few of those the last week.
1: You know, I've paid the bills, I've paid the taxes, I've done the upkeep and maintenance. Uh, everybody in my family says it's my house. Why can't I just put it in my name? It was Pop-Pops, but now I want
2: it. Right. right. uh, My grandmother was sick. I moved into the house. I helped her for the last two years of her life. Grandmom said the house is mine, and I can't get a home equity loan. I can't Mm. go to the city to get a rental license because everybody wants to know what documentation I'm able to present to show that I'm the owner. Well, you're not the owner. And you may be, you may have some equitable interest somewhere down the road. And in some instances, you're just a squatter. Now it's hard to comprehend being a squatter, but uh, unless you begin to take a real close look at the family tree and understand that the older generations failed to do certain Mm -hmm. paperwork that would have made your life a lot easier. So the fact that you're occupying a house that doesn't have your name on the deed creates a burden on you to do paperwork. And depending on the number of generations we have to navigate and depending on how many potential heirs under our intestate statute you have to reach out to, the simple situation, which is extremely complicated, is a woman who passed away and her closest of kin under our statute were nieces and nephews there are nine nieces and nephews and one of the nephews came to us say i want this house and i basically said what you need to do is to reach out to every one of those nieces and nephews who has the same legal standing that you do to acquire the house if there are seven nieces and nephews each one has a one-seventh interest in the ownership of the property (coughs) which you can deal with if you have a good relationship with them because you have to go to each one of them into certain documents that they have to agree to sign off on so we could get estates opened and we can transfer ownership it's a lot easier to talk about than the reality the reality is that if somebody understands that they have an interest in some type of an asset, immediately they want to quantify what that interest is. Well, what is it worth? How much is my signature worth to you if I'm going to sign this deed? Well, if the house is worth
1: 70 grand, let's just do some easy math, it's Saturday morning, and uh, there's seven kids. Or seven nieces and nephews, everybody's got 10 grand. <coughs> that, so that, s- by signing a piece of paper, you're giving away or giving your rights up to $10,000.
2: That is correct. And in most instances, that does not work because that individual, that family member will say, I'm not going to give you my signature for nothing. The point we're making here is that the older generations, uh, the oldest of generations, they did very, very poor record keeping. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. I yeah. think part of it was a secret of nature. The younger generations are much more sophisticated. They're much more opened. Since COVID, uh, there's been an outright demand for the creation of these documents uh, wills, uh, powers of attorney between elderly parents and adult children. Uh, millennials want health care directives because they want to control what their Doctors can or cannot do for them. There's an underlying theme here, and, and, and the timing is perfect for it. If you want to control the disposition of what you have, if you want to control what other people can and cannot do for you, you got to put your thoughts in writing. Well, this is where it's at now.
1: Yeah, uh, well, go ahead. No, I'm just uh, I, I'm I'm going to second that. In that, if you're in, if you're the legal owner of a home and you want to make sure that it goes to the people you want it to go to then you need to have a will and or you need to transfer the property before death into the name of the uh, you know or it could be jointly in the name i mean something if if the if the grandmother and the nephew had come to you before she passed you could have put that property into the gr- nephew's name and grandmother's name and given him a right of survivorship so that when Ooh. she passed it went directly to him that's correct easy peasy not and not a big deal, a few hundred bucks, and you got the you, you know there
2: may be a tax burden, um, on the transfer. Um, there, there, there would be there would be an inheritance tax on that portion uh, owned by the. No, I'm talking about there may be a transfer tax and not. It depends. There are exempt relationships in, in Philadelphia. A transfer between a grandparent and a grandchild is one of those exempt
1: transfers. Oh, there you go. So it's a free tax transfer at that point, and it's just a preparation of a deed and the filing of the deed. And um, if that doesn't happen, then the property devolves into chaos. You
0: said, you make it sound so easy, but he said, I'm going to unpack a couple of things that Sal said. One, you, you graced over secretive such there are subtleties and a lot of nuances involved with a lot of this, these people's homes, the relationships they had with people. And when you got to divide up who gets what. And the other thing you said was you've been paying the bills for five or some odd years. Squatters believe if I go into a property and I'm paying the bills for a certain amount of time and they're in my name, I own the property. And I've heard in legal
2: situations that is so, So, but in this, this doesn't apply. Not at all. You don't own the property. Uh, you're taking on the burden of paying some utilities if you can convince the water company or the gas company to uh-huh. put a utility bill in your name. Sometimes they don't ask for documentation. They're just concerned about the monthly bill being paid. Well, what about the right of adverse possession? You are sitting in a property
1: claiming it to be yours. It's not um the real owners or the the uh, the other owners of the property know that you're not the exclusive owner yet they don't step in to, mm-hmm. to change anything could you could the could the guy get the property um in his own name through adverse possession I don't
2: believe I mean I believe there's a chain of title there the deeds the deeds control that strictly this concept of adverse possession, possession. Uh, does it doesn't Adverse possession doesn't necessarily, where it comes into a context is where there's a dispute over boundaries between properties. Uh. And adverse possession doesn't give you ownership. It gives you the legal right to have access to that parcel. Usually it's for reasons of ingress and egress because somebody may have a captive parcel off the street, and they can't get to it unless they go over this driveway that goes through somebody else's property. Hmm. But if you've been going back and forth to your parcel for 21 years, and it's open and notorious, and it's not hidden, the courts will say, no harm in allowing you to continue to do that. Uh, But you just can't be a squatter and say, okay, I've kept the owner out of the property. At some point, I'm going to declare it mine. Legally, you can't.
1: Folks, if you're on the line, stick around. We're going to get to you as soon as we come back. But we have to take a two-minute break and join us in the studio by giving us a call at 215-227-2727 with your legal questions. We'll be right back. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters
5: most.
6: I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer,
1: when winning matters most i'm dean weitzman if you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer call my philly lawyer now at 215-227-2727 frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer if you've been affected we will fight for you call 215-227-2727 my philly lawyer when winning matters most need more legal answers here's more court radio with your host Dean Weitzman good morning and welcome back I am your host Dean Weitzman this is court radio every Saturday morning 9 to 10 a.m. right here on 100.3 WRNB Thank you so much, Manuel, You're for welcome. that edition. Let's talk to Christine on line two. Oh, Christine, welcome to Court Radio.
7: Good morning, Dean and family. How are you
1: guys this morning? Good morning. We are we're doing wonderful. It's a beautiful day in Philly right now, and uh, looks like we're going to get a little more crisp fall weather. So I'm, I'm always looking forward to that. I'm I'm a sweater guy. <laughs>
7: I love the
1: leaves. So I love am I. the foliage. I love when the foliage, the colors. When yeah, it yep, yep. So
7: what's going on, Christine? It. Yep. The was uh, um, from the Office of Inspector General um, through Social Security Administration, and um, there was a report in 2022 about um, somehow or another funds that were paid out to people receiving Social Security disability, mostly. Um, uh, they, they overpaid, like millions of people. Uh, they said that in 2022, they were able to get back $4.7 billion of the overpayments, and there was still a $21.6 billion that remained. My thing is, my girlfriend is one of these people who was overpaid. And when you go in, you know, she worked, she was, she got injured on a job, she received workman's comp for a while, and then it was determined that she uh, wouldn't be able to return to work anymore. She started getting um, post-security benefits in 2016, and then this year they sent her a letter telling her that the amount that they determined that she should be receiving monthly was too much, and now she has to give them back like 40 something thousand dollars I just don't understand and I'm just trying to figure out is there any recourse for all of these people because if you're not working and you're getting disability because you're not working how do you afford to pay somebody that 40 grand
1: okay well let, let me say this Christine uh, the, I got I got a few calls on this this week uh, believe it or not and same issue and i did a little investigating and found out that you can appeal the claim for overpayment based not on the legal basis of uh i don't owe what you claim i owe but also on the basis of i can't afford to pay back um what i owe it wasn't my fault that you overpaid me and I have these bills, you establish your the, the your uh, overhead, you know, what your housing costs are, your food bill, your medical bill, and if there's not enough money after deducting all those bills to pay back the overpayment, the Social Security Administration may elect to waive the overpayment. Hmm. Um, so I would suggest that your girlfriend Go through that process now. I can't promise you it's going to work, but there is a basis for them to waive the overpayment based on needs. Based on needs, yes. Is that
7: the only recourse based on needs? Is there something else they can appeal? Another basis that they can
1: appeal? Well, if if there's if she claims that the overpayment is not an overpayment, that the calculations they originally made were proper that would be a basis for an appeal but i doubt that that's the case so yes i think as a practical matter the strongest argument for her to make is i don't make enough money to pay the bills i have as is and i certainly don't have the extra money and and they don't take the whole 40 grand or they don't cut your check off they they reduce it by about 20 percent until the overpayment is paid but if you can show that that reduction of 20 percent would you know essentially not allow you to have a roof over your head or food in your stomach or or medical care then they may waive that overpayment but if you can't do that if you can make your bills and pay back the overpayment then yes more likely than not she's going to have to pay it back
7: oh that sucks Okay, Dean, thank you.
1: (laughs) All right, Christine. Uh, But I like your honesty, sweetie. Tell us uh, how you really (laughs) feel. All right, be well. No, it's
7: just that, you know, people don't know what the calculation process is to determine what you're going to get. And then they make an error, and then all of these people have to pay it back. It's so unfair.
1: Yeah, Yeah. But thanks,
7: you guys. Have a good day.
1: You as well. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, you know. That you, was brutal honesty. Yeah, you, you don't have anything to do with it. Like, why, why am I being punished? But, you know, you got a benefit that you weren't entitled to get, and, um, and so you had a gift, um, and you know they can take gifts back. Uh, 215-227-2727. Let's talk to Barry on line three, Justin. Oh, Barry, welcome to Court Radio.
4: Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, everyone. How are you today? Morning.
1: All doing well here, Barry. Well,
4: where are you? Okay. Well, I have a
1: Barry. Where you? Where do you live? What part of the city are you live in?
4: I'm in North Philadelphia.
1: Oh, okay. I spent a few years okay. there.
4: Yeah, I heard. I've been <laughs> to years, <your shelter. laughs>
6: Okay.
4: I have a property ownership question. Uh, I'm married. I'm married for forty years, and. My mother-in-law has property throughout the city here and and, uh, out of state. Now, if she doesn't stipulate the property as being my wife in a will or something, the ownership of those properties after she is deceased will still go equally to both of us. My wife doesn't have any siblings.
1: No, it won't go to you at all. Um, It will go to your your mother-in-law's next of kin, which is her daughter.
2: This is, I mean, this is a prime example of what we've been discussing. Uh, Thought number one, uh, a child has no claim in Pennsylvania to the estate of the parents. So if the parents are very wealthy and the child is on food stamps, the child has no standing to bring a claim whatsoever. The only relative that cannot be excluded in a will is a spouse. So if you have spouses living under the same roof, you can't leave everything to somebody else and cut out your spouse. So children have no standing. But if she makes, if the mother-in-law makes the fatal mistake of not putting her thoughts in writing we have a statute and it's called the intestate statute and based upon what you're telling me the closest of kin would be her one and only child so in the absence of a will your wife would inherit a hundred percent of her mother's properties but so for all the listeners that are out there keep in mind that if there are multiple children and there is no written will all those children are going to be treated equally a situation that recently occurred was a father who came to me with four children and two daughters and two sons two sons incarcerated two daughters very close to the father the father specifically came to me to prepare a will leaving everything to the two daughters because he had no relationship with the two sons and I've shared this before and I think it's worth repeating when we completed the administration of the father's estate and the two, the two daughters were very close they were wonderful to work with one was married with a six-year-old one was single when we finished the administration of the father's estate I said there's still one more order of business and they looked at me and I look I said to the single daughter, you need a will. And she said, I'm not married. I don't have children. I said, your father just gave you a wonderful lesson, and you didn't pick up on it. I said, what happens to your estate tomorrow if you close your eyes? And she looked at me. I said, well, if you want me to tell you if something happens to you and you leave nothing in writing, your sister sitting next to you will inherit one thing. Third of your estate and she her eyes opened up I said brother number one who's incarcerated is going to inherit one-third of your estate and brother number two who's incarcerated will inherit the other one-third the law doesn't care if you dislike each other if you don't speak to each other the intestate staff you simply looks at degrees of relationship and if your closest of kin are your siblings and there's three of them and you have no will all three share equally to which she insisted that I prepare a will and leave everything to the sister mm. and that's what we did
1: and so Barry um... Uh, everything would go to your wife if you were remained married which I don't think is going to change after forty years um then God forbid, should your wife predecease you, the properties would then devolve to you. Then you get ownership interest because you are her surviving spouse to some extent. But if there was no will, you wouldn't get a hundred percent, you would get fifty percent, and fifty percent would go to her children.
4: Right. And the you- same will be divorced.
1: Say you're getting divorced?
4: Yeah, same. The same thing will happen if, if a divorce is, is coming along.
1: Then, if you, so, get, yeah, if you get divorced, you get nothing.
4: Right. Okay. You, Even it, though the property was, was all had, was all in the marriage, all getting property, all during the marriage.
1: Well, first the of all, first of all, um, you know, this gets into uh, it's not it's not marital property. Yeah, it gets into it gets into marital property issues. Properties that one spouse inherits uh, is not considered to be marital property. It's her individual property. The only part of it that could be marital property is if she got it and it started to increase in value, the escalation in value might be considered uh, marital property, but not the the amount that the property was worth when she inherited it. So that's not even marital property property if you got divorced if she got all that property and you got divorced uh, depending again on how how close in time she got the property to when you got divorced there may or may not be any equity or you know increase in value and so you may be entitled to absolutely nothing
4: right i understand yes okay okay
1: and like i said you know after 40 years maybe just stick it out
4: we no, we still good. I just. It's um, going through my mind. Yeah, I got you on the question. Yeah, I called a couple of weeks ago. With uh, she's going to beat part of you.
1: Part. Better hope she's not listening because she's going to beat you. Oh, the, she's going to yeah, beat you that's down. She's at work and
4: she's not able to get a phone already. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or she would. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. 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 right. I'm just waiting yeah. for the frying pan to hit him in the head. And <laughs> hey,
2: don't tell
4: anybody that's not my real name. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
1: Barry. We'll talk to you. <laughs> Thanks for calling Court Radio. Have a great Saturday.
4: All right, thank you, you too.
1: Oh man, Barry, love and marriage, yeah, and wills. Well, listen, let's talk to uh, D on line four. Who's got foreclosures and tax issues? Mm. Yes, D. Welcome to Court Radio
7: hello
8: good morning
1: morning give us your uh, give us your story
8: okay so um, I inherited my grandfather's property and um, it was there was apparently a tax lien that was on it someone acquired it um, during the period of time thought I paid it they were able to foreclose and because um, I was unaware they served any certified documents to the property and not my actual address. I did not show up to any of the court proceedings. So it foreclosed on May third of this year, and um, essentially they we went to court. I had hired an attorney to file a motion to vacate based on the fact that I didn't know and that I had the funds to pay the redemption value, which was five thousand one hundred and one dollars. Um, we, a a development came that essentially this process server didn't wear a camera. So it was their word against mine. And my attorney, um, presented an offer from opposing counsel stating that, uh, they would be willing to settle for the redemption value plus $6,000 when they sent over the consent. um. The consent only mentions the $6,000, and there's a clause in there that says that I can't sue them or come after them from the beginning of the world to the end of time um, based on, the you know, in regards to this statute. I looked up the statute. The statute specifically says that no one, a tax lien holder, can't charge um, excess funds um, in connection to any redemption of a property and a foreclosure. So I'm trying to interpret that statute. Um, because based on the redemption value, it said it had wording in it that said you are not able to be charged more than 4% uh, over $5,000. And I think it goes on to say 6% if it's $10,000 or more. $6,000 is well over that amount. And I'm wondering
7: if this is illegal.
1: Uh, it may be. Um, it's a great point you raise. Uh, I don't know if the. I would. I, I don't. I'm not familiar with the statute. Is the does the statute talk about having uh, gotten a judgment at that point? Because once a judgment is entered, um, I would think that the costs of obtaining the judgment are something that the judgment holder can get back. But again, I didn't read the statute, and you have. Um, you know, if it's in the foreclosure process, maybe you're right. The 4% is a cap. But if you've already gotten a judgment of foreclosure, then it seems like that 4% may not apply under those circumstances. That's just my, you know, take on what you've described to me as being something that you need to keep your eye on, whether the statute is clear about it, is it in, you know, 4% 4% um, in the collection process, or is it 4% period hard stop? That would seem ri- ridiculous in a sense because you may end up having to take depositions before you obtain a judgment. The cost of obtaining the judgment, you know, the, the fee payments to the city of Philadelphia, um, legal fees, it, it all can well exceed 4% of some sum, and I, I would, wouldn't think that they would limit them under those circumstances.
8: Yes, the the legal fees were a, a separate charge. So they were originally charging me. Again, redemption value was fifty one hundred one. Um, they sent over a uh, an amount of sixty two hundred eight plus thirteen seventy five in court and costs and fees. So when I did the math, I'm like, I'm asking like, well, why is there a gross difference between the five thousand and the six thousand? You know. Uh, original redemption price good question but what he, was the
1: answer go. <laughs> good question what was the an- one. okay well and, and and at this point you're at kind of in a quagmire because you're not you don't want to pay the sick the extra six grand and until you do they're not turning the property over to you
8: right right and so but is what if i sign this consent and go forward i can't you know, can if, I do an arbitration of no. these? If Not you're, with my attorney. Listen, okay.
1: if you're signing an agreement that says you're willing to pay X dollars in exchange for redeeming the property, then you can't rely upon the court to undo that agreement by litigating the very facts of the agreement. <clears throat> it, it seems to me, you know, if you don't want to pay the six, if you believe the 6000 is an overcharge, then you shouldn't be paying it and you shouldn't be signing an agreement agreeing to pay it.
8: Correct. Yeah. And so my next, I guess, the secondary question would be um, if I say, okay, I'm not going to pay it and take my chances at this planetary or discovery hearing that we have in December um, to present the fact of um, this process server did it you know that then where uh there, there's only an affidavit of service. Right. And well then you you exactly you
1: can you can listen you can go to court and it, you can dispute all of that and also the overcharge the the you know the uh the additional charges. And perhaps you win. Um maybe not, but that that is your right at what I would say to you uh, unequivocally is if you're not in agreement with paying the 6 grand then certainly don't sign an agreement saying you're going to pay the six grand and hope that further litigation will get you out from having to pay it. That's the wrong approach. Okay. All right. All right.
8: Well, thank you so much.
1: Dee, take care. It was an interesting question. Um, Thanks for listening to Court Radio. Have a great Saturday. Thank you. Folks, we'll be back in two minutes after my sponsors have their way with you. I'm Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call My Philly Lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected, we will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most.
6: I grew up here, went to school here, raised my kids here. I know Philly, and Philly knows me. I started My Philly Lawyer because if you've been injured, your lawyer matters, and choosing someone local matters. It matters to the insurance company, it matters to the jury, and most importantly, your lawyer matters when it comes to getting results. If you've been injured, call us now, 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. I'm
1: Dean Weitzman. If you have a history of using chemical hair straighteners and have been diagnosed with uterine or endometrial cancer, call my Philly lawyer now at 215-227-2727. Frequent use of chemical hair relaxers can double the risk of uterine and endometrial cancer. If you've been affected. We will fight for you. Call 215-227-2727. My Philly Lawyer, when winning matters most. Need more legal answers? Here's more court radio with your host, Dean Weitzman. Good morning and welcome back. I'm your host, Dean Weitzman, here at... 100.3 100.3 wr and
0: And Classics 1079.
1: That brings you Court Radio, brought to you by my Philly lawyer. By the way, folks, you can see me live on Sunday, October 22nd. October
0: 22nd at the Hilton. Yes,
1: indeed. You will be on stage. Yes. Um, we're going to be talking about workplace harassment and discrimination. Um, and how to make sure that if you believe you have a claim or case, that you preserve the evidence. So see us. We have a great panel. See us. We're going to be, uh, Manny Manuel will be there with me, and we're going to have a great discussion. I'll be answering anybody's questions about the topic I've um, paneled up or anything else you might
0: ask. And unbeknownst to you, we just confirmed a dynamite female panelist. Can't say your name yet. Unbeknownst to me.
1: Oh, and if our Court Radio listeners um, call in and need uh, a set of tickets, there's one set of tickets today that I can offer up. Um, all you got to do is give us a call with a good story. Uh, 215-227-2727. And then... We'll have another set of tickets next week. All right. Uh, and then the show is on the 22nd. And lastly, uh, we're having a big holiday bash. We're going to be doing Court Radio live in the studio with a studio audience. Mm-hmm. Special, uh, special guests are going to be there. And um, we're inviting all of our regular listeners. If you want to come in. I mean, there's not an endless amount of seats. You're gonna have, <laughs> We're gonna limit to about 25 people. That's about right. Um, yeah. And so, and we're having food and drink, and we're gonna have parties, and, and we're gonna have a live court radio show where you get to ask your questions live in the studio. Um, and the date for that is to be determined. It'll be sometime in December. Okay. Um, I have to look at my travel calendar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, taking the kids away for a little trip somewhere. But um, definitely that's coming up on the horizon. So, just, Looking
0: forward to it. Yeah. Seeing all of you like Joe and some of you guys, seeing all of
1: you up in the house. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, all right, we got callers still, Saul, and uh, line five is Cheryl. Oh, Cheryl. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Court Radio. How, How are I'm you good? today, dear? I'm
7: wonderful. How are you guys? Thank you.
1: All good, thanks. What's your story today, Cheryl?
7: Well, you know, I think that you may have answered my original question because sister passed away, um, no will, and the property is there, but the son believes it's his property, and he hasn't done anything with it in 15 years, and it's just sitting there in default, you know, waiting for the city to take it do the sisters and brothers have any claim to the property? do I understand you to
1: say that? Whose sisters and brothers? Wait a minute. Oh, the he, passed away the passed
7: away sibling.
1: Okay. The passed away siblings would not take over a child. So your sister's child, is he her only child? No,
7: there's two children.
1: Okay. Those two children own that property as a matter of Mm. law.
2: Equally, yes. Mm. But they they own the property under our intestate statute, but if they have not complied with uh, the recording of the deed, the property is still in the name of their mother.
1: Yes, I mean they've got some legal hoops to jump through. They have to raise an estate, they have to ask the court to allow them to transfer the property from the estate to them, but they are the owners in fact. Um, and if they've done nothing for the property and it's, de- and, and, and it's got a big tax bill, then they're getting the property with a big tax bill. I mean, they're not getting it free and clear. Um, if there's a mortgage, if there's a tax bill, if there's any other liens against the property, those liens will have to be settled up um, when the property gets sold. I
7: mean, which they're not going to do. So I have another quick question that I'd like to ask if I
1: could. Uh, we got two minutes. You better make it really quick.
7: Okay, so my sister sold her property. She didn't have a, um, she didn't have, I mean, she didn't need a title company. The opposing title company held $35,000 of her money because they said it was a $5,000 lien on the property. When they tried to pay off the lien, they said that, oh, it's not at that address. You used a different address, so we can't, you know, accept the payoff. The original company is out of business. Now the title company won't give her her money back.
1: Well, um, first off, what comes to mind is that you told me they held 35000 but there's only $5,000 in dispute. So the 30000 would have to come back uh, to her. Um, the $5,000 may be a lien or cloud on title. And um, in, in that circumstance, she's going to have to work with somebody to get that lien removed. Um, it's not the title company's responsibility to track down people and try to make this right. Um, that may be something that she has to do.
7: She's been trying. It'll be a year in December. Now, I, I'm in agreement with you. I told her that they should not have held, you know, the 30000 She needs her money back. But she can't seem to get any answers or justification from anyone well, to get her money back. She
1: should give Saul a call this week um, and um, – Maybe a letter uh, or something from Saul will rest the money back to her, That uh, the amount that's not in dispute. Cheryl, thanks for calling us. Saul, Saul will be happy to, to uh, take your, uh, your girlfriend's call. Folks, we're just about out of time. Saul, as always, the show goes by so damn quick.
2: Yes, it does, and thank you for the opportunity, and thanks to our listeners for listening. Folks, we'll see you next Saturday, same time, same place.
3: The
0: preceding was a paid program of MyPhillyLawyer.com.